Appreciate Brother Ross leading those songs. I asked him if he was leading songs tonight, and he said, yep, and I said, here's your song list. So these were all went along with our lesson. It's been a privilege this past this weekend to be a part of this lectureship and to also have this final lesson. We've had a lot of good lessons, and I hope mine gets included in that. The fact is, as long as you are preaching the scripture, it's a good lesson. Tonight's lesson is Be Ye Steadfast. Um, I was working on this lesson, and both Shelly and Brianna walked in and said, You spelled steadfast wrong. I was like, No, that's the King James Version. There's no A in that. So <laughs> that was kind of amusing to me. But in 1 Corinthians 15 58, Paul here says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we are going to get into that verse pretty heavily. But first I want to look at is why the command to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I've heard this term a lot lately, but it said about the word, therefore, what is it there for? So we're going to go back a little bit. So we're going to um, focus some of our lesson here on 15 or 50 through 58 of 15, but really the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Paul has been really working on the Corinthian brethren there, working on the church in Corinth. They had a lot of problems. And when we look at the word, therefore, you know, it's like for that reason, consequence is still in therefore. So he's telling them all these different things. Now he's going to tell them why to be immovable, steadfast, and always abounding. But the church in Corinth had many problems, and Paul addresses throughout the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians. If we just look at the book of 1 Corinthians, some of the problems, this isn't a Exhaustive list, but we have unity and division. We have immorality, marriage. He dealt with Christian liberty, issues of worship, um, the problems of their spiritual gifts and how they are viewing them. And then verse 15 here, or chapter 15, he deals a lot with the resurrection and their false view of the resurrection. And then in 16, he's dealing with the collection of the saints. So he spends numerous words and pages of his letter to the Corinthians dealing with their problems which had to be dealt with. We cannot always preach and teach a message of encouragement. Sometimes messages and sermons have to be about problems and dealing with those problems and preaching against them and enlightening people in what the Word of God says. But Paul uses just a few verses here at the end of chapter 15, and they're powerful verses, to really encourage the brethren. I was curious, you know, this is... Really, verses 57 and 58 are his verses of encouragement. He spends 400, there's 437 verses in this book, and two of them are about are encouraging the brethren. I mean, 10, 10, 10 verses in, he starts instructing them, and he instructs them nearly to the end. And But even in his encouragement to them, he gives instructions. So what is it about... But we need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, the fact is, we look at verse 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory. We have victory. When we stand in the word of God, we have victory. Let's read here verses 15 through 58. Paul here says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so then when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're going to look through here in these first few verses here. Of 50 to 58 we have an inheritance Paul is talking about the resurrection here in the chapter 15 and it's our final victory we have an inheritance with heaven and he's talking about flesh and blood and the life of what can inherit <coughs> heaven but when we apply that to our lives when the Corinthians and when we put away the issues of flesh and blood when we put away the corruption that is in this world when we put away the mortal and we focus on church and the Christ and we can have the victory we get to have the inheritance yes that cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven but we cannot have the victory if we don't do that to ourselves as well and the victory is in the kingdom of God he says there in verse 50 he says now this I say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God that is our victory and we have that victory we're obedience to the world or the word not the world the word we continue that we have victory over death death is a reality for everyone Hebrews 9 27 it says and as is appointed for men to die once and after this the judgment we are all going to die and it is a fact however some will face death and they do not know what their eternity will be. We get to face death knowing what our eternity is going to be because we have the victory. We have won. And we have won because Jesus won. Sadly, there are some, this has been alluded to, that believe they're going to have the victory when they get to heaven and they face judgment, but they are, going to, they are not going to. And we know that by looking at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus is going to say, depart from me, ye that practice lawlessness. Even though they thought, they thought they were doing what needed to be done. And victory is a reality for those who are obedient to the word of God. We continue there in verses 54 and 55. It says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. That's a direct quotation from Isaiah 25, verse 8, where Isaiah says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. He will swallow up death forever. That's what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross and he died and he was our ultimate sacrifice. He swallowed up death forever. And we can have victory because of that. 
And then verse 55 he said, is a quotation from Hosea 13, verse 14. It says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Jesus has provided the forgiveness of sins. He has provided, he provides power over sin. Jesus conquered death for us. And when we are obedient to God, who sent his son to conquer death for us, we get to have the victory over sin. We have the victory. And if you look at this entire lectureship, hold fast, stand fast. When we do those things, what do we have, brethren? We have the victory. We win. And we get to spend eternity in heaven. We have the victory over sin. Our faith is what overcomes sin. If we look over at John, 1 John 5, verse 4, John here says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, we've been going through faith on Wednesday nights, you know, and studying that with Brother Russ. You know, this isn't a blind faith. It is a faith and knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's what he says here. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It is an obedient, working faith. And we're going to get into works this evening. We can have the faith and an assurance that we can spend eternity in heaven. And sadly, many of the world do not have this faith. And they do not have the hope on spending eternity in paradise. They do not have any victory. And sin is what brought death. And we know that from Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as though through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin brought death, but we overcome sin through Jesus Christ. We have the power to overcome sin, and then we have the victory over death. And then sin brings death when we stay in the place of sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a contrast there. If we stay in sin, there's death. But when we accept the gift of God and follow his will, then we have eternal life in Christ our Lord. So we have the victory through Jesus Christ. So now we're going to get a little bit more into verse 58. Actually, quite a little bit more in 58. So the admonition. If you guys have ever read a Wendell Winkler book, he loves alliteration. Absolutely loves it. Every single idea or thought or outline is alliteration. And his alliteration with this verse was there is the address, the assurance, or the admonition and the assurance. And I'm not using that whole outline, but it was a good thought. because So we have this admonition here. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, which is the dress, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That is our admonition that we have here. Again, Paul is encouraging them, but he's still instructing. There's three different words in the Greek that are translated steadfast. This one has the meaning of sitting or being sedentary. Okay, um, And that's used only three different times in the Bible, and that's 1 Corinthians 7.37, this verse, and, 1 Colossians 1 Colossians 1.23, which we will use several times parts of that verse throughout our lesson. And so I want to look at first Colossians 1, 21 through 23 right now. It says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, that's the Greek word we're talking about here, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he's saying here, grounded and steadfast. The other two words, one is more like stable, being fast, firm. It's used more commonly and found in nine different verses of the New Testament. And it's also translated steadfast or sure, firm, of force, more sure. And then the other one is only used four times. It's strong, firm, immovable, solid, hard, um, rigid. But the first word we're using there is hedrios. Like I said, it's sitting and sedentary. It relates to, like I said, being sedentary. When something or someone is sedentary, it does not move. It's fixed. You know, we might say somebody has a sedentary lifestyle. Well, they don't do a lot. They just sit around. They're not a very active person. One of the definitions I found was really interesting. It says in anthropology, the word means inhabiting the same locality throughout life, not migratory or nomadic. And we think about that when it comes to a Christian. If we are one who is, we inhabit the same locality throughout life, we're not migratory or nomadic. We are not migrating from one belief to another. We are not moving from one teaching to another. We are not nomadic in the fact that we go, well, we don't like this preacher or this preacher's gotten boring. Now we're going to move to another one. You know, nomadic people, when something ran out in one place, they went to another one. Well, we stay in one place when, where the truth is taught. Now, if somebody's not teaching truth, that's a different story. But again, we don't move from belief to belief to teaching to teaching, from preacher to preacher, from religion to religion. We are sedentary. We are firm. We are steadfast in what we believe in and where we stay. And sedentary also is about it's inward. It's an inward thing. We are the ones who don't move. We determine in ourselves not to move from the truth, not to move from God, not give up when things get difficult. And why do we do this? Why is he encouraging them to not move away, to stay there? Well, we go back to the previous verse, because they have the victory. Because we have the victory, we stay here. We stay in the truth, we stay in the church, and we work until the work is done. And why would we let anyone move us from the truth? Why do we let people move us from the truth? Or why do we let ourselves move away from the truth? We've had a lot of great lessons about holding fast to different things. You know, sound words to uh, hold fast and repent, hold fast to just all the different things we have had. Like we are hearing the truth. So why would we internally, after hearing all these things and knowing everything, be willing to be moved away from it? Now we're going on immovable, not to be moved from its place, unmoved, um, Amedicinitas. And this is the only use of this word in the New Testament. The only use, immovable, is this word, Amedicinitas. And this one is more external. This is one where we're being moved by somebody else. Somebody else says something that moves us and we change. That can be good if we are doing wrong, and somebody says something that's right, and we, okay, we need to change. But when somebody says something that's wrong, and we just accept it for what it is, and walk away from the truth, we are not being immovable. 
you know, others' beliefs shouldn't go, when they go against the Bible, should not move us off the truth. Others' teachings, the world's clamoring for tolerance and love, should not change our view of the truth, of the gospel, and away from the church. Nothing outside of us should ever be strong enough to move us away, especially if we have stood fast, if we stand fast, if we hold fast, if we do everything we talked about this past weekend. You should not be moved away from the truth. Now, there are some things in life that you know might rock us. You know, they events happen in life, shake us to the core, and that is part of life. But when we truly believe that we have the victory, that the evidence that we have proves that our faith is sure and solid, then you know what? That shaking, when we overcome it, we should be stronger and we should be more rooted and, and grounded in the word. James 1, 2, and 3, James here says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Those trials, those problems, you know, those things that shake us when we stand in the truth and we hold fast to the truth that it is, we are going to be stronger. We're going to have more patience. And he uses that in James to talk about how then we can use it to teach and help out the other brethren. I recently really heard a devotional. Um, we were up in Kansas City area about a pearl, how a pearl is made. A pearl starts with an irritant, you know, something that gets into a mollusk. It can be a very various different things that can get inside the mollusk. And to deal with that mullet, that irritant, the mollusk secretes a liquid that coats and and um, coats the irritant over time, creates a pearl. You know, just over time, it just keeps coating it because it's bothersome to it and it's protecting it. Uh, you know, we kind of have the same thing today in, in bad things, asbestosis. I don't know if that's that. You get a fiber in your lungs and your body creates scar tissue to protect your lungs from that. Well, that's not in a good way. Asbestosis is not a good thing. But a pearl is a beautiful thing that is made that way. And each pearl is different because each mollusk is different and each irritant is different. And we think about that as, hey, oh, how does this apply to us? Well, we can have irritants in our life. And it can be exactly that. They can just be an irritant that brings us down, an irritant that we let eat us up internally and tear us down and we fall away. Like Chuck has talked about it and others have alluded to it. You know, the reasons that sometimes churches split are ludicrous because they're not holding fast. They're not steadfast. Their focus is not on the right thing. Or we can take that foreign object, that irritant that's in our life, and we can code it in the truth of the gospel. We can take that and we can read the word of God. We can hear good lessons. We can read good lessons. We can listen to podcasts, read books, whatever it might be, to find that truth that allows us to coat that irritant. And then that becomes a tool that we can use and create something wonderful that we can use for the benefit of the Lord's church. Oh, you've heard of people, um, I don't know if you guys know, we've had several miscarriages in our marriage or in our in our life. And those are not hard things. But through those challenges and the difficulties, we've had other friends that have had that problem. And as sad as it was, Shelly especially has been a huge benefit 
to those other people and a huge encouragement through their struggles and their difficult times. We could let that, we could take that, we could let it tear us up, blame God for it, blame everybody else for it, or do like she did and she took it and she's turned it into something good where when people have problems and they're struggling and they go through that, she can encourage them and she uses that. We have a choice of what we do with an irritant or with a problem with trials that come into our life. So that's like, you know, being immovable. We want to be solid and steady. We don't want to be a shrub, but a tree when it comes to being immovable. If you look at me in, with me in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses five through eight, Jeremiah here says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is inhabited. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when he comes, but its leaf will be green and will be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. You want to be a shrub, somebody who doesn't grow, who lets everything and everything, every, every part of the world or, and every evil and every bad thing that happens affect you? Or do you want to be the tree who grows strong and powerful and roots go down and deep? Now, we've, we've all seen some massive trees, right? Absolutely massive trees. And then a great good old Oklahoma storm comes through and that tree just blows over. You're like, wow, that must have been a strong wind. But when you look at it, the roots go this way and not down. This way, those that tree is finding the path of least resistance and finding water this way. He's not sinking his roots into the ground, deep into the ground to withstand the storms of life. And we don't want to be those who find the path of least resistance. We want to be those that find and have deep, strong roots in the love of God and his word. We don't want to be shallow without depth because that's going to allow us to be easily moved. We want to be immovable, immovable. So like we think about this in this context, Paul has just spent 15, 14 and a half books really, because we're here, almost 15 books, talking about all the issues that they needed to improve on, how they needed to deal with sin, how they needed to handle spiritual gifts. But he's reminding them, you still have the victory because you're faithful and not to be moved from it. Be steadfast and immovable. Now, why do we need to be steadfast and immovable? Well, we don't want to be a wavering Christian, do we? We don't want to be a wavering, inconsistent Christian failing to serve. What does James call him in James chapter 1, 5 and 8? Somebody who is double-minded and unstable in all his ways, who, um, like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That's what it is when you are not steadfast and immovable. You are just being driven and tossed around by the wind. We don't want to be that way. And when you have a people and you have Christians that are that way, you're going to have a church that's that way. That's what the church is going to be. That's what the congregation is going to be, is 
double-minded, unstable, and those congregations and those Christians are not going to be successful in teaching the Word of God and finding Christians and teaching Christians. And again, another reason why we need to be steadfast and immovable, because untaught and unstable, wise wise men of this world, I'm going to use that in quotations, um, will not will not be able to twist us with their thoughts. And we get that from 2 Peter 3, 14 through 17. It says, as also in all epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. They're not just using that twisting to their own destruction, but they're applying it to the world. And sadly, they're applying it to the church and taking people with them. I think about our state song. They know like the first line of our state song, Oklahoma, where the wind goes sweeping over the plain, right? You walk out this front door. What's the first thing that hits you 90% of the time when you walk out the front door of the Ulaga building? And that is wind, right? And if you are not ready for that wind, it can flat out knock you over sometime, won't it? And that is just like, it is the nature of where we are. We don't want to be that way. Because in the same sense, we need to be rooted and grounded in the truth so we don't get blown around by the world and all its crazy teachings. Now, how to be steadfast and, and immovable. That's an important thing. We know why we need to be, but how do you do it? I'm going to ask Brother Hayden to come up here for a minute. I'm going to do a little illustration. Oddly enough, I learned this illustration at a Baptist church camp. Yeah, that's a fun one. I want you to hold on to the Bible with two fingers. Okay, just two fingers. There's different ways that you learn, right? And one of them is you hear the Word of God. Now, some people are better at hearing and retaining. Some people are better at reading and at, uh, retaining information. I'm not a good listener. I don't hear and retain. I have to read. But Hayden, let's say he reads. Well, I come in, and I'm the world, and I can just rip this right out of his hand, right? But hearing is a necessity, Romans 10, 17. Hearing is necessary for the gospel. Okay, I want you to hold it with two fingers now. Okay. Now, when we hear and read, okay, we're putting them together. And we have that for 1 Timothy 4, 13, when we're supposed to read. Now, it's a little more difficult, but I can still rip this out of his hand, right? He doesn't have a firm grasp on the word of God, does he? Yes, this is just an illustration. Okay. Now, we hear, we read, and we study 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study to show thyself approved, right? We work at it. See, now you're with three fingers, right? Now, that's a little more difficult now. I'm getting old. This isn't as easy as it used to be probably. Okay? But, okay, now we're going to add another one. We're going to hear, read, study, and we're going to meditate. Chuck had one of those slides up at the beginning of services this morning. You know, um, Philippians 4.8. It lists all those characteristics, and it says what at the end of that? Meditate on these things. We are to meditate on the Word of God. Now, I heard somebody, I don't know if it was here or where, but it doesn't mean you sit up here and you're, um, I mean, that's not what it is. But you're thinking about the Word of God constantly. You're focusing on it. It is in your mind. So, hey, you grab it with your whole hand now. Now, this is going to be a lot more difficult to get it from him, right? I can still get it. Now, I'm going to add another one. Here, give that back to you. So, hear, read, study, and meditate. All of those is, well, especially the first three is God communicating with us, right? Hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, we're studying it. That is God's Word coming to us. Meditating on it, again, it's us. Then when we pray, 
Every single person in the Bible, every single biblical character that you will read about talks a lot about prayer. And Paul says, always praying, always thinking about you. He is always praying. I want you to grab with both hands now. Now he's got a firm grasp on the word of God. Thank you. And it's just a simple illustration. But the fact is when we do all of those things, Constantly, we will hold fast. We will stand fast to all of those things that we talked about in our lectureship. Yeah. Hold fast that which is good. Stand fast, hold the tradition. Holding, hold fast the form of sound words, the confidence, the rejoicing, the hope. Hold fast our profession. All those different things. When we do, when we read, when we study, when we hear the word of God, when we meditate on it and we pray, because praying is how we communicate with God. We can listen all day long, but when we don't go to him and communicate, thanking him, praising him, glorifying him, and using that form of communication, we are still missing a large aspect of it. All right. Always. I'm going to be preaching long this evening, too. Chuck did, and so did I. So they are steadfast, immovable, and now what are they doing? They are always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always is used 42 times in the New Testament. This word is pantate. And it is always, it is interpreted mainly as always, ever, always, always, evermore. There is no stopping the work of the Lord. We can't stop it. We can't slow it down. We can't change it. And Paul, in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, lays this out beautifully. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. He is still working. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. He's continually going forward. To those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. We must continually press towards the goal. Now, Russ said this in his sermon. Don't come this far only to come this far. Right? We don't stop. Now, I might be mistaken, but I have not seen anywhere in the Bible where it talks about the retirement age for a Christian. If you know that, please let me know. Because I, I might be, like I said, mistaken, but there is not a retirement age. We don't get to just stop being a Christian. I've heard a preacher say, I want to die in this pulpit. Now, that might be a little bit of a um, last thing I want to see is somebody dying in the pulpit. But you have to admire their zeal. They want to teach and preach and do the work till the end. And I believe that we can and should also do the same thing. Work until we cannot work any longer. There is nothing wrong with it. And some people are going to come to a point when our bodies and our minds do not let us work, do the work that we want to do. That's understandable. But it's sad to see a Christian work up to the 11th hour and then check out. Because they are not working they are not always abounding in the work of the Lord. And those are questions they're going to have to answer at judgment. So they were always abounding, okay? Abounding is 
parasu to exceed a fixed number of measure to be left over and above a certain number or measure and this word's used 39 times in the new testament translated as abound abundance remain exceed increase strong has an interesting definition it says to super abound super abound in quantity or quality be in excess superfluous do we super abound do we go above and beyond in what we have to do or do we do the minimum they are abounding and i think about chuck's been going through the sermon on the mount and those beatitudes build upon each other right in order to abound and always be abounding you have to be steadfast and immovable if you're not steadfast and immovable more than likely you're not abounding in the work of the lord you're just floating along and letting everybody do the work all right, so we're abounding. Now we're abounding in what? And that is the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Well, there's a long list of the work of the Lord. I will probably just uh, cut this list short. You know, the main ones we talk about, the work of the church, benevolence, evangelism, edification. But, you know, there's teaching, giving, uh, restoring the lost, you know, having the fruit of the Spirit, uh, taking care of our family. Romans 12 um, verses 9 through 21 has a long list of what a Christian is supposed to do. You know, it's being hospitable, giving to those in need. There's, like I said, there's a long list. And the thing about it is, in the work of the Lord, we have to work. Chuck covered it this morning. The church of Sardis. What, is he, what does Jesus say to the church of Sardis? I know your works. They weren't always good, but those churches... Many of them were. They were working. He says, I know your works. Jesus knows our works. God knows our works. And whether we work or whether we don't. And we are to be always abounding in it. And now the assurance. We have these things, okay? We're to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that our labor is not in vain. We get to know. We do those things. We get to know. Going back up to verse 57, we have the victory when we do those things. That your labor, knowing that your labor, Christianity requires labor. Labor is required. The word work is found 176 times in the New Testament, and labor is found another than 19. Um, Jesus spoke of labor and work. He says there in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me. If Jesus had to do the work, why do we think we don't have to do the work? John 17, 14, Jesus says again, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. This is right before his crucifixion. Jesus is, knows that he's getting ready to go die and hang on the cross. And he is still working. He worked until his death. Why can't we work until our death and work until we cannot work anymore? And then we have that our work is not in vain. True labor for the church does not come back empty. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. 
And 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says this something very similar. But as for you, you brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. We have to work. Sometimes it gets tiresome. Sometimes we feel like we're not accomplishing anything. But we have to work. We have to have the right heart when it comes to work. We think about, go back to Matthew 17, 21 through 23. They thought they were doing right. We also have other examples of people in the New Testament who thought they were doing right. Now it's the Pharisees. Pharisees thought they were doing right. Mark 7, 6 through 7, Jesus says, And he answered to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They did not have the right heart. And we think about Ecclesiastes, a preacher there, which is more than likely Solomon, says constantly about vanity and grasping for the wind. And what was that vanity and grasping for the wind? That was the things of the world. When he comes to the whole conclusion, fear God and keep his commandments. And when we fear God and keep his commandments, we will work for the Lord. We will work. It's not vain and it is in the Lord. Our labor has to be in the Lord. Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 16, 10, says, If Timothy comes, see that you may you may be, he may be with you in, without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I do. Proverbs 10, verse 16, The labor of the righteous leads to life. The wages of the wicked to sin. We have to work in the Lord. In Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, our labor in the Lord. Brethren, we were created for good works. Look at Ephesians 6, 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works with God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We weren't created to sit in the pew Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and do nothing else. This is the minimum that we can do to be obedient to God. We were created to work for God, to work for the church. And we are to be a pattern. We to hold fast the pattern of, of good works. I think this is what that different one was. So it's, no, the form of sound words or pattern, depending on which one you look at. But in Titus 2.6, he says here, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. There's a pattern for good works, and that's the Bible. But here's the thing. We were created for good works, but we cannot do good works if we are not steadfast, if we are not immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. We do that, and we do those things, because like we said, we know we have the victory. Each one of our lessons this past weekend have been really good, and I took several points, or a point from each lesson, to kind of tie it into the conclusion we have here. Um, and Russ brought out Daniel in his first lesson. Daniel stood fast and was immovable from his faith. He stood fast, willing to go to the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Bedgo, like Brother Bill brought up. 
course, he brought up the Hebrew names. Uh, they were steadfast and immovable and went into the fiery furnace. They did what they had to do. When we stand fast and hold traditions, because the promise of the second coming, Christ is coming again. We can be steadfast and immovable, knowing that we are going to have the victory. Brother Doyle talked about it, you know, the hold fast the form of sound words. We have the pattern to use to be steadfast and immovable. Hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. We know, we talked about knowing that your labor is not in vain. And we can know because we have confidence of the hope firm to the end. We have the hope. When we hold fast our profession, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. And we know that when we read the prophecies, when we read the Bible, we can read it. We can know it's their truth. We know it's all there. And we know through those things we have the victory and our labor is not in vain. We hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. God is faithful, so we must be steadfast and faithful. Hold fast till I come. We must seize that truth, seize the truth that we have in the Word of God, in our Bibles, in everything, teachings that we get, and never let go. That's why we're steadfast and immovable. We never let go of that, we can have the victory. And then, Brother Chuck, this morning, Christianity repent. Christianity is personal. It's about me, about what I do and how I handle it and how I take care of myself. And if we don't personally take responsibility for our salvation and work for the church and go out to others, we cannot be victorious either. Brethren, we have the victory. And that should get a big amen right there. We have the victory. And... We need to stay in the word to keep that victory. Stay in the truth. Looking out amongst everybody this evening, I can see everybody is here and they're faithful and they're committed. But we might have somebody who might need need have a need this evening. So if you do have a need or somebody who might want to put on Christ in baptism, we have that opportunity and we give that opportunity at the closing of each lesson. If you would like to have the victory because you do not already have it, please come forward as we stand and sing.